0: A hundred thousand followers does not make you a hundred thousand dollars it doesn't and there's a lot of people making 100k a year that you've never heard of
1: you're listening to the yoga teacher resource podcast knowledge techniques and inspiration for your teaching and your practice i'm your host Mado Hesselink. if you're a yoga teacher who loves learning is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga And desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to this series of episodes with authors of recently published yoga books. Writing a book is a huge undertaking and definitely a labor of love. I have so much respect and appreciation for the authors featured in this series. The topics covered are wide ranging and diverse, including self inquiry, resilience, trauma, teaching skills, tantra, parenting inversions, meditation, and business. If you love books as much as I do, you'll enjoy a peek behind the scenes on why these yoga teachers felt called to write on their specific topic. And I hope you'll feel inspired to choose a few of them to add to your yoga library. This episode is a conversation with Ava Taylor, author of Your Yoga Business. Taylor has collaborated with over 1,000 yoga teachers, studio owners, and brands around the globe through her company, Yama Talent. Let's begin this conversation with Ava Taylor. I'd love to start with a bit about your background. Where did you grow up, and when did you first discover yoga? Oh, my goodness. I
0: grew up in Southern California. I'm born in San Diego, went to university in California, couple years in Texas, my folks are all from Texas. So my first yoga class was a tiny yoga studio called Just Insight Yoga on the Hollywood Strip. So you know, where all the stars go down Hollywood Boulevard. And there was a little tiny yoga studio that was there that the woman who would become my best friend of the past 22 years took me took me to yoga for the first time. So I grew up in a really fit, fit family. So my mom was like a big 80s. Jane Fonda Thong leotard, <laughs> gym rat. So always love to, to work out. You know, I always love to be exercising and to be moving my body. I played competitive sports. And so when I started doing yoga, it was just kind of like this thing I would close the week out with, and, you know, and usually we'd be going to brunch first or after, you know, it was just sort of for fun, I would say. And it took a few years. I guess it was in about two thousand. one, maybe 2002. So definitely 20 years of practice at this point. And it took a few years until I really realized how powerful, you know, the yoga was in my life and what an impact it was having in my life. And, And that's how, you know, I ended up choosing to make a profession. So I can share that story if you want. But that was when my first class. I um, have a sales, marketing, PR, and sort of like business administration background. And so I had, I was working for an advertising agency during those early years when I was practicing kind of for fun on the weekends. And my grandmother passed away in 2007. She's actually who I uh, dedicated the book to. I call her granny. So there's lots of, we called her granny. So there's lots of granny-isms in the book, just real like salt of the earth common sense ways to kind of process life and um, which of course as you know you know trickles out into your business and so when granny passed away in 2007 it was it was really like a moment for me as a young woman and i knew really clearly at that point this is about six years of a very like sporadic practice um that i had two choices i could make i was i was at a crossroads i would either turn right and use some of the tools that my family has coped with traditionally for generations, you know, alcohol and different substances, or I could turn left and go get on my black yoga mat. And it, and it's so strange to me, now that I know more about the practice and how it works, you know, it was already working in me. But when I think that I had the the clarity and the wherewithal to know that I had a choice to make, and that, that I had an opportunity to choose, right, and that I had made a better choice for myself. And so I went left. I chose to practice. And that was how I was going to help myself cope with the trauma and, and the loss of losing my grandmother. And so I ended up quitting my job in advertising and starting to work at Lululemon, which at that time in LA was the Los Angeles store was the only store in America. There were 11 stores in the entire company. So this is like early, early days of two thousand and six. And so I just wanted to keep myself close to the practice. So I literally stopped working like a great salaried job to start folding pants for $10 an hour in Beverly Hills, which was the North American headquarters, just so I could be around the practice. And I had a feeling that this company was going to go somewhere, right? So um, I took a leap. Everybody thought it was crazy. My dad is like, are you sure you want to do this? And said, so I just have a feeling about this company and I really need to be. Practicing, like I just, it was just pulling me towards it. And so um, I spent about 18 months working for Lululemon in marketing. And my job at that time, and this is right before we went public and opened up like 120 stores. So I was really there during this like catapult kind of launch moment. And my job was to find out what made all of the athletes, uh, what was motivating all the athletes in the Los Angeles, you know, sort of Southern California region. And that, again, that was the only region that we had. And so the job was to take the Canadian marketing model, make it American and essentially sell it in to the athletes in the region, make sure that it worked, because that's the marketing model that was going to be used in the rollout of of all the stores once the IPO happened. So it was this really exciting couple of years. I was (laughs) obviously working out a ton, drinking a lot of coffee, and really trying to understand what the lives were like of these athletes. And because yoga is my was my passion at this point, I really spent a lot of time with within the yoga community. And you know, LA yoga scene is a hotbed of of yoga. And especially back then, so a lot of the literal like rock star teachers today, like the big names, the household names that are in the industry, we were all practicing together kicking around in Venice Beach together, Santa Monica together, almost as kids, like we really didn't know where the industry was going. We really didn't know what the career potential was, what the trajectory was for the industry, for an individual teacher. And so um, I built these really great relationships, personal relationships with all of the teachers. And so I realized while I was selling them into this marketing model, which was an unpaid, agreement right this wasn't at that time it was an unpaid relationship between the teachers and the brand right the company lululemon i realized as i would spend time with them on the weekend building these win-win relationships and then going to the cash register on saturday and literally selling millions of dollars worth of black stretchy pants that something was amiss right so i lived in la so i had uh, i also had friends who were actors who had agents they had managers who were helping them you know, strategize, where's your business going, helping them negotiate, helping them make good deals and and good plans for themselves. And so little by little, as I got frustrated with not paying the teachers for the relationship between themselves and the brand, because I was like, well, we're making money. So why aren't they making money? Right. And this is just me. This is just me like unpacking this in my mind and looking and observing things that are happening around me. And so I started to ask the teachers who were my friends, well, who's helping you run your business? Who's helping you make decisions for yourself? And they were like, am I a business? <laughs> First, right? Am I a business? And then, second, no one. Or maybe they had a boyfriend or, you know, someone kind of hodgepodge who was helping them put their business together. Nothing formal no one with business chops. And of course, at this time, the yoga teachers weren't seasoned, right? There's many savvy seasoned business owners now in the yoga space, but 20 years ago, everyone was really green. And so I went, oh, well, that's really interesting. Maybe that's how I can serve the practice. Maybe I can take my business acumen and leverage it against the people that I care about in the practice that I love and help there be more yoga in the world, right? Like that's my why, you know, is, If we can create thriving businesses, businesses that can sustain themselves, businesses that can last, then by proxy, there's going to be more yoga in the world. So eventually, Lululemon let me go because I had started my business, right? It was it just kind of took off like the minute I said to my community, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business representing yoga teachers. What do you think? And it was like, sign me up, sign me up, sign me. I mean, it just went it was just like a wormhole ripped in the universe because what I had observed wasn't just my community that didn't have support. It was the whole industry, right? So I went from a phone call from, you know, with someone who would maybe be considered a, like a sort of hometown hero, right? And I, I designate teachers in the book in different categories and, you know, sort of like a hometown hero, local teacher being like, yeah, it signed me up to the top of the, the top of the pyramid, right? The, the famous yoga teachers that were traveling worldwide, doing the whole thing already. So, that was how it started. I had the idea for the company in 2009. It took me a while to get ready. You know, I had to put my my life savings into it at that point. And of course, I, was, I had actually moved to New York with Lululemon before I'm um, being let go. And so, you know, how to get a business off the ground, create your own initial income, you know, before the business started making money. But we launched in January
1: of 2010. And um, that's what I've been up to ever since. You really tapped into something there into like this amazing opportunity you know we would call it a gap in the market where yoga teachers i think recognized and still do that being sustainable as a yoga teacher is difficult and it requires specific expertise that is not included in teacher trainings. but most yoga teachers don't want to do it for themselves They don't have a passion for it. It does not interest them. (laughs) So you tapped into that. And I'm, you know, what's so interesting is I don't know of anybody else who followed in your footsteps, really. I mean, there's a lot of people teaching business skills to yoga teachers, but I don't, you're actually the only person I've ever heard of who manages yoga teachers I, do you have any thoughts about why that might be yeah and the name of the business is yama talent um,
0: yoga artist management agency and of course a play on on the yamas and niyamas um, that will be conducting business ethically and no one else does it the way that we do it no one there there are yoga teachers who have a person right who is their business manager but there are no other agencies that solely focus on representing yoga teachers I think that part of the reason why is because you really have to love yoga. You know, there are other Hollywood agencies that cherry pick yoga teachers on occasion. Um, And I, you know, have been in those meetings with with those folks trying to understand where the money is. And, you know, it's a very different uh, financial reality. So if you compare creative artist agency, which Yama has been called the creative artist agency of the yoga industry, Where a yoga teacher at the top, right, the absolute upper echelon of earning potential, maybe making four or five hundred thousand dollars, right, and that's extraordinary. That's nothing compared to a Hollywood actor's salary. So I think that the that the why has to be quite pure in order to want to do it. Um, because it's a lot of work, right? Managing people is it's a full time job. It it literally is. It's like being married. to someone and I was married to a lot of people for a while there, but obviously all the things as well, you know, the, the fulfillment and knowing that you're contributing and and putting a product of value out into the world and, and all of the reasons for me that the why made sense. There were a few, there was someone else who tried an agency model, there, there's been some folks, but I think it was it's momentum, you know, when you're the first mover, right? That always means something. We created some great tools that allowed us to do a lot for a lot of people, right? So we were working, always really working at scale. Like I never started with one teacher when we came out the gate, you know, we already had a roster of folks that we were working with and representing. And the business really split into two two areas though, because of the limitations, right? You can only be married to so many people. And so it was really important that not only did we represent folks who wanted this sort of done for you approach right like our tagline used to be we help teachers do what they do best teach exactly to your points so and i'm just like i just want to focus on my teaching i just want to be a teacher i don't want to do the rest of it so we had this done for you approach and then we had a consulting business which is where the educational tools like the book came from to also teach folks how to do it for themselves and so those two avenues of the business have developed over the years
1: What's your current business model? How much of your revenue do you get from your done for you clients and how much is from the educational side? Yeah, great question.
0: And it's a really interesting moment to ask the question coming out of COVID because the agency really changed. You know, I'll, let me answer your question and I'll back into kind of the state of affairs right now. But um, 20% of the business is representation, 80% of the businesses is, is consulting and education. It was 80-20 the other way before COVID. And it
1: was not as smooth and pretty of a transition <laughs> as I would have liked. It sounds like you had some major transition during COVID within your own realm. What do you see in the hindsight of a couple years later? What are the things that are important for yoga teachers to understand now that might not have been as important? And what are the seismic shifts that you saw? coming through COVID into this moment? I feel
0: that up until this March, right, 2023, I really feel like those three full years of COVID were just catching whatever was being thrown at us, right? Survival. We were all in survival mode. So you take an entire economic engine, which was robust, right, out of the space, you know, before covid We had we were doing 200 bookings a year all around the world, sending a rock star teacher somewhere. They're bringing home, you know, they're doing endorsement deals and making their teaching fees and social media contracts. I mean, book deals, all of this stuff that, you know, kind of goes on the back of the touring. But the touring is really like the meat and potato of 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 that side of the business, the representation side of the business. And so that came to a halt. And so for a lot of teachers, and this is, I mean, and these are like some of the most established folks, right? The folks who are like the teachers, trainers, teachers, trainers, that was their bread and butter going to different schools. You're in Asheville, right? This amazing workshop teacher training community in Asheville. So the interesting thing about it, and then I'll, I'll answer the question about specifically kind of where we're at now. But the interesting thing about it, I think for business owners is that I knew this was coming. I didn't know it was gonna be COVID, but I knew that the business model was volatile, right? Because it was based on, there's too many variables. It was based on somebody being healthy enough to get on the plane, being able to get there safely, people showing up in a room, right? And so at some point, you know, I was looking and I go, you know, what what if Mado gets sick and can't get on the plane, right? How does that affect my business? What if Mado has a young child right and no longer wants to be touring right there's all these variables and so i knew and and this is you know you're not supposed to <laughs> kick yourself in the pants but i knew that my 8020 was invested the wrong way for a couple of years the issue was that it was already so far it was the machine was already working and the thing was grinding right it was already running and so To stop it and and diversify it, right, was really hard to do. It can be done. And that is one of the things I think is the greatest lesson for me out of COVID that I think we all learned the hard way and we all need to really take forward with our businesses is making sure you don't have all your eggs in one basket, right? So really understanding all of the possible revenue streams that you can have within your business. And making, you can't, you don't need to do them all, right? First of all, you need to understand them all. And we spend quite a bit of time in the book really understanding different types of business models and where your income can be built up from and making sure that you are safely invested in your business across multiple revenue streams. Because if there's anything we all learned, it's that anything, <laughs> it is actually possible for everything to go wrong, right? Yeah. It is actually possible for everything to go wrong so the only way to protect yourself is to hedge your bets right you've got to have a you've got to have a few 3 to 4 strong revenue streams coming in for your business so i think the diversity piece was something that was really important that was different from before covid a lot of businesses were singularly invested right a lot of businesses were singularly invested and I think the other big thing that that came to mind, you know, kind of answering your question on the fly was is just the the concept of kind of leveraging resources and networking. So prior to COVID, even though we had formed a network through the agency, right, so there was collaboration. There was certainly some sharing of leads and opportunities and things like that that would happen by nature of kind of us being like a center point of, of a wheel, you know, of of folks. and. Everyone was really out to get theirs. And and there's nothing wrong with that, right? If you think about Beyonce and Taylor Swift, <laughs> since that's all everybody talks about right now, right? They are running complete independent businesses. They have their own goals, they have their own priorities, they have their own strategy, they have their own family lives that they have to be managed within the entrepreneurship, all of that stuff. So teachers still need to be independent in those ways and I think because we lost such a such a, you know, just a clear sort of rug was pulled out from under everyone that the future for us as we rebuild together is part being together. Mm. It's actually being together. I don't think there's very few teachers who I think will and, and, and people have made the most of COVID, right? There's a lot of success stories as well silver lining and folks who are able to really capitalize on the environment and i think though that the general the general market like we really need to be working together leveraging resources sharing being being literally being kinder and helping each other you know it used to kind of be like well i've got my thing you go do your thing instead of i've got my thing and let me hold the door open for you and let's let's do this together i think there's a lot of that energy that's gonna be required for us to to sort of form this new industry. And then I think we have to answer that question together. You know, there's so many conversations around how to make the yoga industry equitable, right? There There is a model, it's been a lot of people at the top, you know, why are teachers paid the, the why, why is the teacher pay structure as it is, right? Why are these certain, it's like there's this whole thing right now, I think that we could be talking about because it's up to us. It's up to us. I I do feel like a lot of the, you know, the sort of building was broken, the blocks are here, and it's up to us to figure out how we want to put them back
1: together. I love that. Because one of the things that happened during that pre COVID decade, where yoga really exploded, and corporations saw yoga as this way to make money, very simply. And there was this competitiveness among yoga teachers, definitely not all of them, but I think that that competitiveness was fed by the large corporations who were treating yoga in this extremely extractive way because they had no personal investment in the practice. It was solely, this is on trend right now, so I'm going to use it to make money. And because yoga teachers were not educated, were not organized, and were not collaborating enough, they didn't have the resources or the know-how to fight back. And so they got used by corporations. Now, one thing that happened during COVID is that a lot of those corporations dropped yoga like a hot potato because it was no longer profitable for them. So that was, you know, this kind of sh- shaky, earthquakey experience that people who are in it for the long haul some were able to really rise from that into a much more sustainable business model because they were no longer dependent on the corporations you know their very nature is extractive the the people who are pouring their creative energy into these classes these workshops these retreats they're just a means to an end right for corporations so i really appreciate what you're talking about with the opportunity now for us to do things differently for Mm -hmm. us to collaborate more and beat those corporations in a much savvier way in a much more united way
0: right that was part of why the agency started because there needed to be someone to advocate for the teachers to help them understand their value their market value to help them say no right this is not a good idea this is not a great deal to help them say, I should be paid for my likeness being used to sell your products. So that really, I'm proud of where we've gotten to as far as teachers understanding that they're valuable within the space. And I'd also add on the topic of being used, just about being like willingly used. I mean, we made plenty of good money, right, during (laughs) during this transition. So I think there were folks who were quite happy, especially after maybe decades of teaching and not making any money. To have somebody finally wanting to pay them right to do something so i think that that's that's useful as well like the growth of of understanding your value and then also the, what being willingly used right consenting <laughs> to be used and then the other the other bit i wanted to say that kind of goes together is that the deal flow to your point of the of it no longer being hot a hot sort of trending topic for companies it's so interesting because I hadn't thought about it that way before you said it. And if I look at just the amount of deal flow that we have now in 2023 compared to 2019, it's a fraction of what it was before, maybe literally 10 or 15% of the amount of companies who were looking for teachers who wanted to partner with teachers who wanted to do yoga, this, that, and the other. So there definitely is whether that's because their business priorities have changed, whether they don't see any money in it anymore, but there's definitely been a very sharp decline in demand from corporations. And one of the things I talk about in the book, um, because I've always believed this, even before the deal flow declined, was to focus on the things in your business that you can control, right? Focus on the business, the things in your business, the revenue streams in your business that you can control because companies are fickle. They have a new marketing plan every year, so maybe they're looking for a brown-skinned woman who lives in the Bronx, but the next year they might be looking for a woman who lives in Asheville, right, who speaks French. You have no say over what that strategy is gonna be. And so, again, volatile. So one of the things I'm always looking for in a business, a yoga business, to create sustainability is what can you control? And there's so many things in your business that you can control. So I always looked at the deals as sort of nice to have, but let's not build
1: the business in a need to have. I was just talking to a yoga teacher and doing a consultation call this morning, and we were talking about how the landscape of teaching yoga as a business is always shifting. Yoga will always be subject to the tides of culture because it's a cultural phenomenon, We're not talking about housing. We're not talking about food. We're not talking about basic necessities that the demand for them remain relatively stable. And and there can be more models to predict demand. Yoga is very much a cultural phenomenon. And so in order to be successful in the yoga industry, we have to make peace with that to some degree. And in in a way, we actually have to draw on our practice, some of the principles from our practice, to meet the moment as it is without projecting our expectations onto it. This is what I thought would happen, and therefore, I don't know what to do <laughs> because it's not what I thought. I think the people who can be successful over the long term are the ones who are willing to look at culture with clarity. And show up for what's happening now. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. From the
0: lens of, of popularity, right? Just just the momentum, the buzz around yoga. And there's this is the second sort of pop. The first pop was in the '90s, right? When, you know, I don't know if you remember this, like Vogue, and Christy Turlington's on the cover doing yoga. And you know, there was when David and Sherrod Gannon launched, and Sting, and you know, there was this whole early moment. And then it came back around in the around 2008 or so. This next ten year sort of pop with when the online you know when online started and launched so I do think that culture um, affects popularity and I think that thank goodness right now there's such a huge focus and I think it will be a lasting focus on health and wellness in general so I do see yoga having a stable stable demand I think it it'll be stable as a product that people want to have and want to consume you know in their lives. And I think maybe I don't know if that next or when that next kind of wild popular bubble will happen again. And so for me, you know, to your point with your client, there's there's a need for simplicity and efficiency, and you know, really building something not simple in an in an a less than way, but uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like kind of sturdy. You know, building a sturdy business for yourself doesn't need to be fancy. Everybody thinks it needs to be fancy. You don't need a book. You don't need to have a contract with Lululemon. Some of the most successful teachers I know are folks you've never heard of and you've never seen on Instagram. And I know all the folks that are on Instagram, too, and I know how much money they're making. And one of the lines in the book is, you know, 100,000 followers does not make you $100,000. It doesn't. And there's a lot of people making 100K a year that you've never seen, you've never heard of.
1: And it's so interesting is there is this balance inherent here where we need to have diversified income streams, and yet we need to have relative simplicity in our business model. And so I just wanted to highlight that because sometimes it seems like those two things are opposed, that they're the opposite and you can't do both at the same time. But actually, I believe that the one necessitates the other. Because we need diversified income streams, we need to not do anything extra. <laughs> we need to be really intentional and mindful and smart, strategic about what where we're spending our time and energy in order to have a sustainable business with multiple different pillars to it we can't be wasting a lot of time and energy absolutely and you just said so many of my favorite words
0: <laughs> smart strategic intentional and words that most yoga teachers aren't normally using or aren't normally putting to the front with their planning so how does one do this right how does one create an intentional smart and sustain strategic business. It's with planning. You have to make those decisions. You have to choose right what those revenue streams are going to be. You have to package them and price them. You have to plan your sales and marketing out for for these products. And then once you make that decision, you have to block out everything else. And this is one of the things I think that's hardest for teachers because there's so many new things popping up. Or you see somebody on Instagram. Well, what is Sue doing? down the road that looks cool or maybe I should hop on the latest social media platform right there's so many distractions and not that some of those things aren't positive and cannot be worked positively into your business but oftentimes what happens is the plans just get dropped right so you 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 know there's so much and I know that you've done this in the growth of your business there's so much to be said for and I'm not a long-term planner right because the market changes so quickly and But give yourself a good 12 to 24 months to play something out right to build something that you've committed to it's not that you can't innovate it's not that you don't want to be inspired and, and and bring new elements into your business but for most people it's just distraction and then they're off on to the next thing and haven't really given themselves a chance one to see how what they're what they've set out to do can manifest and two They're also skipping the part of the planning, which is the inquiry around why you're doing it to begin with. And so many Mm -hmm. yoga teachers add elements to their business simply because somebody else was doing it without actually asking them, is this right for me? Is this right for my family? Is this how I wanna be spending my time? Is this going to create the kind of revenue that I would like to see in my business, which are just so incredibly important. So I'm, I'm really, I love that you brought that forward because it's possible with, a, you know, we, I call it assessment in the book, but it, it is inquiry, right? So there's a whole yoga framework in the book and it's based on, you know, understanding
1: your starting point, choosing your destination and then the effort to get there. It's so interesting because it really speaks to how our culture is developing as a whole, which is lots of noise, lots of different directions, lots of distractions, and also the need or the potential for a yoga practice that includes pratyahara to help us thrive despite all those distractions and to help us sort of fight the cultural moment and and the way that information and stimulus it's just growing and growing and growing. But to learn from our yoga practice and our yoga philosophy and to say, I am going to set up some boundaries here. I am going to make some choices and then I'm going to create a space where there's less distraction for my practice. I mean, that's how we meditate, right? We set up boundaries. We don't, most of us don't go out into the middle of Times Square to meditate. We <laughs> come into the quietest place we can. We might put on music to reduce the amount of noises outside or eye pillow or close our eyes, whatever it is. I love how that really kind of brings us back into the opportunities of our practice. I believe that a yoga business is a unique business because it has framework built in that will support you to be successful. If you stay connected to it, the practice
0: is so rich in lessons and ways to see the world. One of the things that popped in my mind when I was listening to you was, was, you know, one of the concepts of like foundation and then expression, right? That is a huge business lesson and we do it every moment we get on our mats. And yet I still have folks come to me who want to get a book deal and don't have teaching insurance, right? Foundation and then expression. Like we, we, you know, it's, it's a core concept. Build your make, build your business create a sturdy infrastructure for yourself. And then we can expand and reach out for the fancy stuff, right? It's the same thing to your point. And it it is it is it is it is such a gift, you know, the practice is such a gift, interpersonally, within the business, you know, you can it's just, yeah, I mean, I'm so incredibly grateful. And it is it's a it is there's boundaries there. You know, it's a place for us to, I think, have some checks and balances. You know, and it was super interesting. One of the things that came to mind as well, like I did a lot of uh, crisis management when COVID first started with the Yoga Alliance. So we did a lot of work, just trying to support teachers and studios as the waves were coming down we were trying to be like, oh my gosh, you know, what's happening? And I did a lot of interviews with folks all around the world, um, because we did these like global think tanks to see how everybody was doing and whatnot. And the questions that were asked, you know, the comments that were coming, excuse me, not the questions, the comments, Just how many people were not in alignment anymore? Their businesses had caused them to no longer be in alignment. And they had this gift, this moment when COVID stopped everything or took it all away to say, right, to your point, how does a practice show up in your business? How can I set this back up again so that it can be in alignment? Mm -hmm. Because I've been out of alignment. I haven't had dinner. One woman, I hadn't had, she hadn't had dinner with her kids for like three years, you know? She's like, I don't want to go back to doing that again. So I think there's so many metaphors from the practice that you can can see really alive in your business. And if
1: we use what we know of the practice, our businesses will be better for it. As a group, yoga teachers have many misconceptions about business, what it means, what it's for, what it can do for them. (laughs) And so I'd love to hear your take on this. What are some of the most common misconceptions that you just hear again and again where you're like oh i just wish yoga teachers could understand (laughs) this
0: okay let's go with the first two that popped in my mind one that you are a small business that you are a small business i say this to my 200 hour students not in the first session but in the first weekend. I hope you know that you are now officially a small business. And I have had folks literally get up and leave the room because they don't. That's not why I'm here. I didn't sign up to da, 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 da I said, OK, but you need to know that you are a small business. So I think that's the first piece that becoming a teacher, whether you're a hobby teacher or whether you're a career teacher, you are a small business. The second one that comes to mind is that we <laughs> get this out right. The second is that the yoga industry is filled with humans and that those humans make mistakes and they lie and they steal, and just like everybody else. There is so many folks regularly that are still dis- disappointed and disenchanted when a yoga person doesn't do something, you know, oh, I thought they were yoga people and they wouldn't, da, 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 da. especially the business side of it humans are humans and also folks just make mistakes, right? We're also dealing with a lot of kind of green business owners. So that's something that I regularly, you know, I wish that more yoga teachers also knew kind of going into it. Is it still the regular world? You know, I do think we are more conscious than, than most folks. I think I know that we are trying to live better, do better, be better, and we're still human. So you're not going to be exempt from, some of the heartache and, you know, the growing pains of just being, dealing with humans within your business interactions. So those are the two, those are the two that, that jumped to mind first. Yes, you are a small business and you are doing business with other humans.
1: And the fact that business principles are relatively new to most yoga people is a double-edged sword because like you said, a lot of them have really great intentions, but out of ignorance, do things that are not wise and end up having to backpedal or do things that might seem from the outside as being unethical. And maybe they are unethical (laughs) because they just didn't know better. And there's lots of people in the yoga world who have big wounds and were attracted to yoga because of their big wounds. The fact that someone is attracted to yoga is a good sign. There are lots of people in this world who are doing harm to others without any effort to self-inquire and grow, right? (laughs) So I do think we have a better chance than throwing a stone into the world to encounter people that have good hearts and are really doing their best. But business taps into themes of survival where people are not always going to show up at their best. Or they want to capitalize on something.
0: Right, there's there's both sides of it. I think some of the bumps in the road are from savvy people being shrewd. Right, that's also disenchanting. So there's folks who go, "Well, I can't believe so and so would do that, would say yes to that, would capitalize on that." Where in the regular business world, that's precisely the point. Now, I don't want to get into a talk about capitalism because we we need another podcast to do. Maybe that. we should. <laughs> Maybe we should. Right, Because we're talking about this new this new yoga industry, but in the rest of the business world, the common thinking is if something works, you do more of it, right? How can you capitalize on it? That part of it also, I think, can rub yoga folks the wrong way because they don't expect to see that within the yoga space.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: there's definitely an up leveling of our industry, the acumen um, the resources the you know the, the
1: capabilities that we have and i'm really proud of that i'm really proud of that and to build on that also the awareness of the importance and the role of trauma of cultural sensitivity of inclusivity all of these things i think also have had a period of major growth in the past five years especially so I want to shout that out as well that we're being more sensitive to more people these days and that's a good thing too. So you you talked a bit about your journey to writing the book and is there anything else that you want to share about what inspired you to write your yoga business and what are you hoping it's going to do for yoga teachers who read it?
0: Thank you for asking. She's sitting here on my desk. I've been looking at looking at the book came in a couple of weeks early. So it kind of landed by surprise, which was which was really cool. So what I love about your yoga business is that it's a compilation of 13, 14 years of learning things the hard way, working with real teachers and real studio owners in the real world distilled into teachable moments with tools. So I don't just talk to you about the thing that I learned. There's the thing that I learned almost always the hard way, y'all. So you do not need to make all these (laughs) mistakes, right? That's one of the gems about the book is it's really like a shortcut um, because the mistakes will be made. Right. We're entrepreneurs. We're small business owners. You everything you do, every time you do something for the first time, right, has a potential possibility of being done wrong because you've never done it before or making mistakes because you've never done it before. So learn from some of my mistakes and some of the mistakes of the teachers and the studio owners who I've represented. So I just love that it's it's really use, really usable, like really useful. We are all busy. We are in that effort to be smart and strategic, you know, and get back in alignment coming out of COVID. I think there's a big need to live more and to really be able to run your business clean And so that you can you can live more. And I'm proud of what this is, because I think there's lots of tools here that are very useful to help make running the business easier. And that's what I want. That's what I want in my life right now. I want to get my job done. I want to put it away. I want to go to dance class. I want to go have a glass of wine. I want to take an actual vacation. A lot of things which had maybe been sacrificed in different you know, versions of me running the business. So it's, it's just, it works, it's efficient. And there's something here for new teachers coming right out of the gate to get organized, but also teachers who've been in business
1: to to refine what they're doing and really set, set the trajectory for what's coming next. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for your mission to help yoga teachers with these skills that are so, so important. But running a business, it's not easy. And This moment and the way that the economy is shifting, it makes strategy even more important. So I really appreciate that you have put your decades of experience into print form where we can access it, we can absorb it, we can reread it, we can practice. Thank you. You're so welcome. and,
0: And thank you for saying that the way that you did. I receive it. And that's it's also something interesting I'd like to highlight is it's not a one and done book because running your business is not one and done either. This is actually a resource where when you need to overhaul your website or create a new marketing vision or recreate your business plan for the next two years or refine your packages, whatever you're working on as you're on the path of actually being the business owner, it's like a textbook, like you can grab it. And go get some skills go borrow a couple tools and then you put it back until you need it again so because i think some folks also think that it's a one and done right with business like oh if i take that course i'll have it all figured out but it doesn't work that way right we are, we're growing and we're learning as we go as we're building things and so this is definitely something that you can continue to reach to
1: as it's needed and if listeners are interested in finding out more about the work you do and buying the book, where's the best place for them to go? For the book itself,
0: uh, humankinetics.com, H-U-M-A-N-K-I-N-E-T-I-C-S, humankinetics.com, your yoga business. And I can be found at yamatalent.com, Y-A-M-A-T-A-L-E-N-T. And then that, that's the same handle um, on Instagram and Twitter and all that good stuff. But Yeah. I'm excited. You know, I'm really inspired as we wrap up about this new industry that's forming. And I really want to be part of it. I will be part of it. I am part of it. But I want to be a stakeholder in, you know, where we really take things from here. So I'm excited to stay in in touch and, you know, they'll I would like to be having this conversation with folks who care, you know, and who are business minded and and yoga minded, and that we do exactly what I said, you know, we network, we
1: leverage, we work together on bringing this future forward. I love it. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing with the clarity that you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This episode is part of a series with authors of recently published yoga books. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the series by looking above or below this episode in your podcast player.